Now this week in our, our group, we talked about Genesis chapter one, which I preached on last week. And I just want to point out one of the things that I hear sometimes is that the Bible is so complex or I don't understand the Bible. And one of the interesting things is I was thinking about just our group. And by the way, my group is a part of my groups right here. I got Teresa, I got Mike, I got my wife, Erica. And in this, uh, just this week, as we went through Genesis chapter one, uh, I heard so many great things uh, that uh, what we do is we just read the text and then we ask questions about the text. And, you know, uh, one of the points Mike brought up in our uh, group this past week on Genesis 1 that I talked about last week is we read it and he just said, it's amazing that you can see Jesus in Genesis chapter 1, that you can see what God is going to do. It's not just a new idea. One of the things Erica uh, said is when she reads about the first day of day and light, uh, she said, you know what? It's pretty cool that this is a theme. It's not just about physical light, but she mentioned it's a theme. Another uh, point that, that came up in our group, Miranda Carr, she said this, she's in my group too, and she said, she said, it's, it's interesting how everything that God created in Genesis chapter one, he had a, a purpose for, there was a reason it was created. So what does that tell us when we get to man, when we get to God creating man? It just tells us that there is a purpose that God puts into it. Now I say all that just to remind us that even though the Bible may be a little intimidating sometime, that you and I can read the Bible and we, if we will take a little bit of time and maybe get with one or two other people, even if they're not scholars. If, they, if we just get with one or two other people and just ask some questions, what is God teaching us? It's amazing what God teaches us in his word when we actually read it and take the time. So having said all that, we're going to start in Genesis chapter two today. And I hope even though you know this story, this is story number two in the five stories we're going through in this series, but this is another story of us. And I'm going to call this story, some people would call Genesis chapter two and three, the story of the fall of man. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to call it the story of the garden. Okay. So we're going to look at man in the garden. Now I'm going to start off uh, I'm going to use Mike here. I don't know if y'all can see Mike back here, but Mike uh, Nash is back here. Mike, do you have your wallet on you? I do. Mike has his wallet. Do you have five bucks by chance? <laughs> all right. Now, all right. He, he's got five bucks. Well, now let me ask you, when I ask, whenever a preacher or somebody asks you for, hey, can I see your wallet? Can I have five bucks? What do you assume I'm going to ask him? You're going to assume, usually, when most of it, you, do you think I'm going to take his five? you think maybe I'm going to use his five? See, we always kind of jump to that conclusion, you know, that, oh, he wants to, to take, that he wants to take from him. But the truth is, Mike, I got $5. I just wanted to see if you had $5 because I wanted to give you $5 today. So, man, you get $5 just for showing up to church today. Yeah. And uh, it's not really my $5. John Williams just gave me $5 earlier. So I'm, I'm paying it on. But, but I say that just because we, we always, there's just a tendency when we think about even godly people. I'm a pastor and, you, and we still kind of jump to that conclusion of, Man, he's gonna take. He's gonna take from us. He doesn't want the best. It's something selfish in it. And a lot of times when we read the story of the garden, we kind of say, you know what? God is just setting us up for a fall, and we kind of read it. So what I wanted to do today is I want you to turn in your Bibles, turn to page two, probably. It's page two in my Bible. It's Genesis chapter two, and Genesis is the first book in the Bible. So if you have a physical copy, that's great. But as we go through it, I want you to kind of turn and unlock this idea that 
The Bible, and especially what it's teaching us about God, is not about what, what God is taking from us. I want you to see all the ways God blesses us in Genesis chapter 2. All the things God wants to do for you. All the things that God is doing for you are on your behalf in Genesis chapter 2. And, and I just also want to remind us the way that we're approaching this series as you go through this book, I do not want you to bring all your questions on the front end. What we want to do is we want to read the text, and from the text, let's ask the questions, okay? What is God teaching us? What are, we, what are we to learn from this? Because a lot of us miss what God is teaching us because we come with all these questions. We talked about this last week and the week before. We come with all these questions that the, the story is not telling us. And we want to overcomplicate what God is actually doing. God is telling us a simple story and it reveals so much about who he is and what he wants for us. So we're going to jump in to Genesis chapter two, verse four. And this is the beginning of the, the second story, the story of the garden. Now it starts off, it says, these are the generations of heaven and the earth when they were created in the day of the Lord God. And in that, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, a couple of things about this that you need to know. This is the first genealogy. This is actually a genealogy, but it's a, a genealogy without any actual genealogies because there are no people yet that, that are named. And so what happens here is they're setting up what in Hebrew, it's called a toledot. It's, it's the structure of Genesis is, gener is, is showing these genealogies. And you're going to see this all the way through um, Genesis. This is something that other ancient texts in this area would do too. They, if they talked about stories or had a book, they would link them not by chapters. They would link them by genealogies. They would connect everyone, put a thread of, of of genealogies. And that's what, what's going on here, okay? So the first genealogy is just God made the heavens and the earth. But you're going to see this more and more. And another thing that I want you to see that I want you to notice is I want you to notice that we also are going to see that uh, the, the name for God has changed. The name for God has actually changed. And, and it, does anybody remember what the name of God in Hebrew? I said it last week. Do y'all remember what it was? It was Elohim. My wife got that right, y'all. It was Elohim. And we talked about the nuance of that being plural, but it's also a proper name. But what's interesting now is you, you, if you look at the text, there's this word Lord God. And that word Lord is capitalized. It looks different than every other word on your Bible because it's capitalized. So that actually has a special Hebrew de um, uh, kind of definition. It means Yahweh, okay? It means Yahweh. And so it says, now the name is Yahweh Elohim. The name is the Lord God. So there's, in this story, there's a, a, an extra nuance we get of, of who God is. He's a little more personal. He's giving us his name. Elohim is kind of a proper name. But now in this story, we get this, man, this is, this is like if I, if I told you a story and I was used my first name, it's a little more informal. It's a little more, I want you to know who I am. And so anytime you see that word Lord and it's all capitalized, that means Yahweh. Sometimes you'll see Lord and it's not. That's the word Adonai. It means master or, or kind of Lord. That would be a good translation. But that is a special designation. When we see that word Lord capitalized, that means it's using this word Yahweh, which is the name of God. In fact, the, the Jewish people won't even pronounce that when they see that. They will skip over that. They will not pronounce Yahweh. And in fact, it's just 
four con- y'all are getting all you want on this, right? It's just four consonants. They don't even put the vowels in this, so we don't actually know how it would be pronounced. But Yahweh seems to be the way it would it would be. So you see this kind of introduction to this story, and it is. Uh, telling us that in this age, and the word uh, day here means age, it's not 24 hours, uh, it just means age. And you're going to see that, that that word day is not a little literal 24 hours, it means age right here. Now, when we get to verse 5, look at this, it says, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain in the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the, um, ground, from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground, the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Okay, now this is very interesting because it gives us a lot of information. And, and one of the things you're going to notice is that it doesn't line up with the creation uh, order of Genesis chapter 1. There's a good reason for that. And we'll get into that in just a second because you're going to see it even more. But I do want you to see some foreshadowing here. There's some literary things going on. Uh, there is no bush or field, okay? And we know that, uh, and the same for rain, it says there's no rain. It's being the mist or the dew is what's, what's getting the grass to grow. And so what is, what is interesting about this is we know that God is going to, when man is created, he's going to give us some blessings. He's going to give us plants. He's going to give us these bushes. And the rain is going to be a blessing for man. If you want to, to have a garden, if you want to eat the best food, the dew is great, but to really get the best, you're going to need that rain. But also we know the bushes eventually will be cursed and have thorns. We know that eventually the rain will not just be a blessing with Noah and the flood story. It's going to be a curse. And so there's also this foreshadowing of even these blessings that if, if it goes wrong, something, you know, these blessings could be a curse. But right now this is just blessing and it's kind of waiting on man, so to speak. So it says he formed man from the, the, the ground. This word man, Adam, uh, the word earth is Adama. Okay, so this is earthling uh, is basically what it means. But now the nuance is different. In Genesis chapter one, it said the Lord made man and he made man male and female. So in other words, in, uh, it was mankind when he used this word in the first one. And he just, he made it very clear that male and female, but mankind, he made mankind. Here, when he says he made Adam, he's saying, I made male. I made a male guy. I made a guy named Adam, okay? And so, uh, that's interesting. And we know this because he's going to make a girl. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you know there's this contrast here. But look what happens. It says, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put, y'all say Put. Put. You need to remember this. It's going gonna, it's gonna to make sense in a little bit why. That word in Hebrew means put. It means put. It means he placed him, okay? It's not that uh, hard, but remember that. It says, he put the man who he informed in this garden, and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree, was the, um, the tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge and good of good and evil. So here's the, the scene that he sets. He takes this man, and he puts him in a garden. So he's got this place called Eden. Eden is a big place. And in the, the garden of Eden is really, it says here, the garden in Eden. So the garden is not all of Eden. It's, it's a place in this land of Eden. And, and he places it in the east side of 
Eden, their big region, he places this garden. And in the middle of that garden, he puts two trees. Uh, the first tree, which is in the dead center, is the tree of life. And, and kind of the nuance here, or, or the kind of the meaning that we think that, that comes from this, is if you eat of this, you would have eternal life. You would always be able to be healed. You would, it would be a source of constant renewal. And then you have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this tree uh, has, I mean, that name is telling you, it doesn't name the fruit. We don't know. It's not an apple. We don't know. And, it, and the, the author, I believe, intentionally leaves this off. The author does not want to, you to get caught up on, is this a fig tree or an apple tree? He wants you to know, if you eat of this second tree, if you eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then it changes the way you view the world. If you eat of this, no longer will you consider God the one who decides good and evil. You'll try to go through life knowing good and evil. You'll be aware of your sinfulness. There's a lot that comes with eating this tree. So just plug that away. But I want you to, to kind of see it's, it's weird that uh, God in this story makes man before he, he has all the trees sp sprout up. Remember, we're not trying to reconcile. And, and we always want to reconcile. But I want to, to just kind of put this bug in your ear um, when you have this urge to reconcile Genesis chapter 2 with chapter 1 in the order and things. If you ever tell it, how many of y'all have ever been around like four to six-year-olds? Okay, it's my life all the time. Um, now, you ever get questions that you're like, let me just get an answer out here. Like, why is the sky blue? How does the car go? Why is all this happening? And, and what do you do when you get these questions? Do you sit down and explain the combustion engine to a six-year-old or a four-year-old? You can, but it'll go over their head, right? Instead, you say, hey, will you push the button and, and you push the pedal and the car goes and God makes the fuel change into energy. I don't know how you explain it. But when you do this, if I explain this to my daughter and I tell her this is how it happens and I simplify it so much, am I simplifying it because I am simple or am I simplifying it because she is simple? I'm simplifying the story because she is simple. So whenever you read this and you're like, man, this is too simple for me to, to actually believe this is how God did this. Understand, it's not because God is simple that this story is simple. It's because, as we explained in the, uh, last week, if this were scientific, if this were too much on this, is, let me tell you everything, it would go over our heads. God is, is dumbing it down, not because he's dumb. I'll let you fill in the blanks, okay? <laughs> but... So we just take, we want to take this story as God gets, gives it to us and we want to learn what is it teaching us. So it tells us there was a river, there were a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. Okay. So from Eden, there, there are rivers and it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon and it flowed from the whole land of the Havilah uh, where there is gold and the gold of the land is good. Bedellum, uh, I assume that's how you say that, an onyx stone. I don't own a lot of Bedellum if you didn't know. Um, the, the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, and, which flows from a, east of Assyria. And the fourth is the Euphrates. So he tells us this, but here's the interesting thing. These rivers don't exist now in this order. We don't really know where this garden, we don't know exactly where Eden would have been. I've seen at least four or five different people try to explain where the Garden of Eden is. Uh, most people say it's around Baghdad. It's around uh, the Persian Gulf area, but no one knows. And I think there's a re I think that's kind of intentional. This story is about all of us, okay? So we don't want, it doesn't have to be exactly where Eden is. There's an archetype to this. Now here's where, to me, it gets interesting. The Lord God took man and he, let's say it together, put. put. 
him in the garden of Eden to work and keep it. Now he says this again. So it's weird. He's put the man in there twice, right? Why would he do that? The first time it says put as in place, but this time this word put actually means to rest. He rested the man in the garden. And there's this idea that he's made this lush. Y'all like the word lush? To me, I love the word lush. It's the opposite of moist to me. You know what I mean? I say that and some of y'all tune out and won't even, some of y'all can't even follow me. Lush is the, it's it's this wonderful word that that you have these four multiple streams. If you're in business, you know, multiple streams is the key. They say this is a lush place because they've got multiple streams that are watering this garden. It's always got uh, fruit. And then we see he rests the man and the man is giving work. He's, he's going to tend and keep it, but he's not having to till it. He's not having to do that. It's, it's a, almost a worshipful. I can see everything God created and I'm uh, at harmony with it. There's a, that word means rest. So God wanted to bless the man and give him rest. I just want you to see all this blessing. And the Lord commanded the man. Here's a command. We need to listen to it. Commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden. Now, let me tell you, uh, when you think about the story of the garden, what is the command that you remember God saying? You, everybody remembers God saying, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But understand before that, he says, you may surely eat of every tree in here. And let me ask you another question. And this comes straight from the text. You're going to see. What was the most prized tree in the garden? Which one? If you had to just guess. The tree of life may be the tree, because they're named, right? Let's go back to verse 9, and let's just look real quick at verse 9. It says, And out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to sight and good for food. Okay? So which tree does God make the best? All of them. Every single tree. We have this idea that, you know how God works. He, he, he puts this magnificent tree in the middle and, and he says, no one eat of that. But that's not what the story says. The story says, it's almost as if, hey, there's a little tree over here in the middle. Okay, here are these trees. They're not as good. The, look all around at the bountiful. You can have any of these trees and I gave you the best. God gave us the best. He did not withhold it from us. It reminds me like if you go to a, uh, a buffet. Y'all go to buffets? Anyone? I don't as much anymore. But you go to a buffet and they've got steak. And you ever go to the old school? Remember the old school like Vegas buffets? You ever go to those back? in the day, man, you would go, not Golden Corral, I'm talking like buffets, right? Now, now the chocolate fountain at Golden Corral, they're onto something there, but everything else, no. Now, if you go to, to, to a buffet and you got the steak, the crab legs and all that, and in the end, they've got like on the side, they've got like Brussels sprouts with ketchup on it. And you're like, what in the world? And, and if, if somebody says you can have anything on this buffet except for the Brussels sprouts with ketchup over there, how many of us are going to be sitting there saying, man, I wonder what's so good about those, man. Maybe we need to try some Brussels sprouts with ketchup and see, man, why, why would they not let us have that? You see, that's what happens here is God has blessed us with the best stuff. But the way you and I think is, oh, I see what he's doing here. He's withholding it because it's better and he wants to keep the best for himself. But God did not do that before any command was, was going to withhold anything. God gave us his best and we need to see the blessing all over what God is doing here. Okay, so he says, The Lord God gave him rest and and he put him in here and he gave him everything. And then he made one caveat, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. One rule and it's got harsh consequences, 
But that one little bug was enough to make people think, ah, God, God's withholding from me. And we got skeptical of the one who was only trying to bless us. And it's still, we know that's still in our heart to this day. So we have this God who's blessing us. And here's where, to me, was something that you may miss. God and Adam are, are fellowshipping. They're in great communion together. And this is all blessing. And hopefully this lasted a long time. But the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make for him a helper fit for him. Now, um, in Milton's Paradise Lost, he says, this is the first time that we see God saw something and it wasn't good. And that's true. The first time God has looked at creation, everything he's made, and he said, it's not good. And it was loneliness. Loneliness is not good. Now, there are a lot of us that will say, you know what? I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be in a connect group. I don't need to do all that. I've got my relationship and it's private. You ever heard people say that? You might have even thought that. I want to point out that Adam had God and it was still not good. Even with that relationship with God, God saw and said, this is not the way I want it. I don't want it to just be you and me. There has got to be more. You need relationship, human relationships. And so he says, I'm going to make a, a helper fit for him. And this is a big, big idea because there's so many of us that when we think about church or we think, we think the church is secondary, understand that the body, that us, the fellowship we have together in a church it is necessary for it to be good in our relationship with God. That is a key idea that we see in the garden. Now he keeps going and he does what a good teacher or a good, rather than just saying, hey, it's not good because Adam may not have seen this. Adam may have been like many of you and said, you know what, I'm good watching church at home. I don't have to talk to people. I don't have to, you know, get, uh, I don't have to put on pants. I don't have to do all that stuff. And so uh, a lot of us, you know, tell ourselves, but God wanted to show him. So it says, now out of the ground, the Lord had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens and brought to them to the man to see what he would call them. So they're, they're naming stuff. He's got a job. That's good. And whatever the man called him, every living, living creature, that was his name. And so God brought, you know, the mosquitoes and he's like, seriously, why, you know, why we do that? But he, but he did. There's all this creation. And, and it says, but Adam, there was not a suitable helper. So my, the way I picture this is Adam sees, you know, he sees the puppy dog. He's all excited, but then he sees the girl dog and he says, man, they're happy together. He sees the, the bear and he's probably, you know, scared of that. But then there's the she bear too. And so he sees the relationship between these animals. They've each got one of their own kind. And that's where he begins to recognize in his own way. Oh, wait a second. There's something different. And so there begins to, to be this I will make a, a, a helper fit for him. And, the, and none of, even the puppy dog was not one, was not good enough. Now this word helper actually means opposite. And I want you to think it means opposite, but equal. And that's a nuance that we forget about. When God created man and women, the, the sexes, there was no hierarchy ever intended right there. It is a suitable helper. It's Jerry Maguire. How many of us, Jerry Maguire, we're going back here a little ways. Or Austin Powers 2, uh, many me, you complete me. That's the idea is, is you complete the, the man and woman, they complete each other, that he has some holes in his game and she is going to complete this, is going to fill in those holes. And that's what our relationships can do. They can fill in holes. And it's not just between, friendships can do this as well. If you're single, friendships can do this as well. But what I want you to see 
Uh, when you look at this, is that there's no hierarchy here. That actually comes in the fall. That's one of the curses that God puts on relationships as he enters in this hierarchy. But in this, they are absolutely 100% equal. If she wants to go to, to Sonic rather than McDonald's for her drink or whatever, she is 100%. It is, there's no hierarchy here. In fact, in most, let's be honest, the hierarchy goes the other way sometimes in our relationships. Now, It says, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of the the ribs and he closed it up with flesh. And the rib of that, the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman and he brought her to the man. And he said, and the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she came out of man. Um, What I love about this is in the, this is the only, only creation story of women in all of ancient text. There is an, there's a ton of ways about how men were created, but the Bible takes special care to show us, hey, the, the culmination was man. And then he said, it's not good. We need, we need the culmination of the culmination. And that was woman. And he gives women and women have a special place. They complete the creation of, of, of man. And so uh, the value that's placed here on women is pretty impressive. You will not find this in any other text, um, ancient text. You will not find how women came about. But he takes special care here. Matthew Henry, I love the way he describes this. He says she was taken out of his rib. He wasn't taken from the head that she may rule over him, not taken from the feet that, that he may trample over her, but from the, the, the rib, from his side, so that his arm could protect her and that she would be close to his heart, beloved forever. I love that picture of what God is doing here. And it is a clear picture of unity and equality that God intended for this relationship. It's a powerful, powerful picture. And so I want to just give us a stop and see, he makes this marriage here in verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, to which Adam said, I don't know what that is. What's a, what's a father and mother? Because he didn't have one. So obviously, this is an archetype. It's, it's setting a precedent for marriage. This is why we value marriage as Christians. It says, he's going to leave his father and mother. He's going to hold fast to his wife, and they will become one flesh. So there's this wedding ceremony. And the first wedding ceremony, if you want to know why wedding, weddings are sacred, why marriage is sacred, it's because God officiates the first marriage. It's God bringing a man and woman and uniting them. When a pastor stands in for, uh, he's standing in for God, that's why you don't say your vows to me. You're, you're actually saying your vows to God. It is a picture of a holy, holy ceremony. It is a worship ceremony. But it's so also incredible that this is the picture that God is going to use for eventually when he reveals himself in the flesh through Jesus. If you remember, he calls the, the church what? Is Jesus' bride. And so this, this picture is from, from the side of, of man came the, the bride Eve. And here, we, when, when it expands out, we're going to see that from the side, Jesus paid for us, even by his side. He was pierced on his side. He paid for his church um, from his side, blood and water, it says, when he was being crucified. But he said he died for, he loved his church so much, he died for the church gave his life. And so we have this picture of, of a husband and a wife and the husband loves so much that he'll give his life for his wife. And that's the picture that God is eventually going to show us to reveal himself in Jesus Christ. There's so many things going on in this text and they're right there. They're not, you don't have to have a, a seminary degree to see it. Now to this point, 
I want you to just kind of think about the way, the blessings that God is, he, he's saying the rain is blessing. He said the bushes are blessing. He said uh, that the trees, every tree you want is blessing. The rivers are blessing the land. Everything, it's all blessing. All things God are doing. He sees man and he's not right. And so he, he, he says, I'm going to give you human fellowship. I'm going to give you a, a wife. I'm going to give you a woman that you can have a companion. Friendships, all your relationships are blessings from God. And yet we read the story of the, the garden and we often think, man, God withheld a tree. God kept us from one thing. But the intent here is God is blessing and blessing and blessing you. And this has some powerful repercussions. First thing I want you to see just at, at, through verse 24 here is the only bad thing we have right now is loneliness. Now I want you to think about your last year. How many of y'all have struggled at all, even if it's just for a little bit with loneliness? When we think about loneliness, what is God's remedy to loneliness? Because some of us just pray harder and you'll find that joy. But what is God's remedy here? It is fellowship with one another. That is a godly thing that he, the remedy for the lonely is our fellowship. That's why, whether it's a connect group or your church it, or your family, these are so valuable. If you have, have been lonely, the only way you've overcome it is for somebody to come in and you are not alone. So what does this mean for us as Christ followers, as people who want to be the light of the world, who want to bless people? And we know right now might be a unique time in history where there are more lonely people than there have been in a while. What does that give us? What should we be doing right now? Say it out loud. Y'all say it out loud at, at your gathering or at your home too. What should we be doing? We should be reaching out. We should be connecting with people. We are the blessing for people who are lonely. Think about that. It's not some, you know, God way far away. It is Yahweh Elhebe came in and he says, I'm going to, to let you be the blessing. You have this purpose. You are the blessing for one another, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your kids, your, your mother and father, or just your friends. If you are single, this speaks to you as much. You are a blessing to others who right now may be. So one of the things I hope this, this says is, you know what? I need to connect in a group. I need to get in a small group. If you're far away, you need to get into a church and you need to connect with people face to face or right now, screen to screen, but a way in which you say, I'm going to give, I'm going to be there. And if you need something, I'm going to give, I'm going to do what you need because I know you're going to do the same for me. We're not going to be lonely in the church. We're not going to be lonely in our relationships. We're going to be there. We're not going to be on our phones when our kids are sitting right here, when our, when our um, family is right here or our, our friends are here, we're going to be engaged because we are the blessing, that's a powerful thing. Next thing I want you to see, the last thing, verse 25, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Every man to this says, amen. Thank you, Lord, right? Now, this word naked though, doesn't just mean naked. It does that too, but it means more than that. It means he was there and he was, he was not guilty. He was not thinking, you know, this is not right. This is, he was there in relationship with God and he was there in relationship with his, with his wife. And there was, there was just this purity, this innocence to it where he knew if anything goes wrong, I can go to God, but I've got this wife I can love. She has this husband she can love and they can connect with each other in this relationship. But there's a purity that God intended for us. When you think about what God wants for you, you may be thinking God's withholding from me and you have this wrong view of God because we haven't spent enough time in the stories of us. 
God is saying, I want the best for you. I want you to have every, all of the best trees. I want you to not eat the Brussels sprouts. I want you to, and, and with ketchup on them, I want you to eat the, the, the steak. I want you to love it. Or if you're a vegetarian, I want you to eat the best vegetarian steak that there can be. I don't know if that, I want you to love it. I want you to love it. I want to bless you. I want you to enjoy this. When we think about heaven, and some of us are like, I don't even know how to play the harp. I don't even know if I want to be there. Is it just going to be me singing the whole time? No, the picture is the garden. What does God want? Hey, if there's good food to be eaten, God wants it for you. And and if there's good people and good music and all that stuff, God wants it for you. God wants the best for you. When we think about what God is going to do through Christ, we think about redeeming the garden. He's going to make, he's going to take what we broke and he's going to show us it's all blessing. That's what God wants for you. So as we close out this message, I really want you to see the blessings of this coming week. We've got rain and it seems you could easily say that's, that's cruddy. That's a curse. Well, listen, it is a blessing for us because of the the rains that we're experiencing now. That's going to bring lush gardens of the relationships you may be struggling now. I want you to say, well, how can God redeem this? What is God going to do here? Because that person is there. God intended for me to be able to complete them, to reach out and to help them and for them to do the same. So there might be relationships that you need to reconcile, but I hope that you have this picture of what God is eventually going to do. You and I will not last forever. You know, we were formed from the dirt. We're going to work the dirt and then we're going to go back into the dirt. But the God, God has made, he breathed into us this living soul, this into our nostrils says the breath of life. You and I will live eternity forever when we trust Christ, when we trust his provision. And it is going to be a time of blessing. It is going to be, he's done it once. He can surely do it again. He can raise the dead. He can certainly do what he's done. We're going to live in fellowship forever because God is a God of blessing. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the stories of us. I thank you for Genesis chapter two that reveals to us what you really want for us. You don't want anything from us. You want it for us. You have been a God since the beginning, a God who gave. You give to us more than we could ever give to you. So Lord, I pray right now our hearts are filled with, first of all, appreciation and gratitude, Lord. We give to you all the goodness, all the gratitude in our hearts, knowing that you created it. But Lord, we also, we also have a heart of repentance, knowing that things are not the way that you intended them. Lord, there's deceitfulness. Sometimes we don't believe the best about one another, and sometimes we don't even believe the best about you. We think you would withhold from us the blessing Lord, we know any time that you withhold from us, it's because you are either protecting us or you have something better for us. So in faith, Lord, this week, we're going to live out hopefulness. We're going to live out encouragement and we're going to reach out to people and we are going to be the blessing you intended. And Lord, we know that in all of these things, you're going to be working it for the good of what you are doing. So Lord, even when turmoil and chaos looks all out, we know you have put and set in our hearts eternity. You have set in our hearts the vision of the garden. So Lord, let us be a blessing because you blessed us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.